This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Today, I sit down with licensed therapist and author, Nicole Zazowski. We discuss the heart behind her newest book, What If It's Wonderful? After multiple miscarriages, a cross-country move, and an unexpected diagnosis, Nicole became practiced in praying for the miracle while preparing to mourn. I think so many of us can relate to that. As she dug into scripture, she realized God's heart for celebration as a rhythm, not just in response to an event, was foundational. That is what we dive into in today's conversation. This is a topic that is near and dear to my heart, and I am convinced that after listening today, you may approach celebration differently. As always, if today's conversation resonates with you, share it with a friend. Your support and sharing is what helps me continue creating the show week in and week out. Good afternoon, Nicole, and welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. Oh, I'm so happy to talk with you today. This is so exciting. Yeah, I'm looking forward to sharing your message because um, as my listeners know, I have kind of big feelings about being able to celebrate and grieve and do both at the same time. And so before we get started with that conversation, share a little about yourself, your family, and tell everybody what you do on a day-to-day basis. Yes. So I live in Connecticut, just outside New York City. So it's this strange juxtaposition of a (laughs) a tiny little beach town, um, but only about 45 minutes from Manhattan. And I live here with my husband and three young children. I have a six-year-old son, a two-year-old son, and a one-year-old daughter. Wow. Oh, you're busy. Yes. Mm -hmm. In the best way. Um, (laughs) And I am a marriage and family therapist. And most of the time that looks like uh, my private practice in Greenwich, Connecticut, a couple days a week. Um, But sometimes that work takes me other places in the country to either do intensives or speaking, which I love to do. Uh, And I've written two books. One is called From Lost to Found that came out two years ago. And this one that we'll probably talk a lot about today is called What If It's Wonderful? And it's about finding the courage to celebrate. Yes, I loved when I read the book because your background that kind of led to this is you have um, experienced several miscarriages Mm -hmm. and I know from just friendships, I don't know personally, but the weight of that is just really indescribable for a lot of people. I mean, I've had so many friends just not be able to put words to that. Yeah. And then we don't understand those of us who haven't had that experience. And so you also have struggled with anxiety. And so I want to share a quote, something that you wrote in What If It's Wonderful that I really appreciated. You said, I was sure that celebration always came with a catch. So I became practiced in praying for the miracle while preparing to mourn. So share a little bit of your story and kind of where that came from. 
Yes. I love that question because a lot of people see that it's a book about celebration or they see the, even though the background is a dark Navy, they see the confetti on the front and they think, oh, she is really, you know, celebration comes naturally to her Mm -hmm. and she has told us all how to do this. (laughs) And I want to tell the listener, I uh, wrote this book from the mud pit and this is, these are practices that have changed my life, but more accurately, they're practices that are changing my life because this book uh, was born out of a season with a lot of heartache, a lot of change, a lot of loss, some of which you described um, there. Um, we moved across the country. Mm. We had seasons of infertility and and then we lost um, five babies to miscarriage in about four years. Um, mm. So very chronic, a lot of longing and hoping and disappointment and devastation and then trying to get your hopes up to do it again and mm-hmm. um, the relational impact of, of all of those things. And in, in the midst of that, discovering pretty serious medical diagnosis that there's just no solve for that was causing these mm. um, miscarriages. So, uh, and the anxiety and uh, some depression that came along with that as well. So, um But whenever you experience a loss, whether it's the loss of a loved one, whether it's a betrayal or uh, some kind of pain, there's there's the loss or pain itself. Mm -hmm. And then there's the cost. And the cost is the impact to our identity and our sense of safety. And I thought I had worked through a lot of what the cost was and a lot of the feelings I was carrying around in the wake of that season, but it took me a really long time to spot that my joy was always accompanied by fear. Mm -hmm. And as we, you know, I don't think our seasons are ever all pain or all joy. I think most Mm -hmm. are combos of both, if not all are combos of both, but some tend to lean in in one direction or another. And as we walked into a season with more breakthrough, good news, uh, you know, I, I shared that we, we were able to have children by God's grace. And I know I'm very aware that not every story turns out that way. Um, and I want to be sensitive to that even in talking about this, but, um, as I stepped into this season, I noticed how guarded I was and how afraid to celebrate I was. Mm -hmm. I, it just felt easier to prepare for the worst. Like I said, in that quote you read, and I was still praying for all the breakthrough and the miracles, but my heart was not expecting. Mm. I was extremely guarded with pessimism and cynicism. Uh, those are similar, but but related. Pessimism is more preparing for the worst case scenario. Cynicism doubts other people's motives. Um, yeah. And in my case, I'll just be really honest. Um, while I knew better in my head, my heart doubted God's motives. Like, oh yes, girl, He will. Uh, I know he can, and he, and he will demonstrate that breakthrough for other people, but not for me. Yeah. Or um, does he? Is he always looking to teach me something? And that's why this is always so hard. Mm. Um, and again, 
I know what's true about his character, but it's amazing how powerful your pain is in rewriting that narrative. And so this book was born out of that place of feeling really afraid of joy. And as I dove into scripture and current research, I learned I am not alone, that Mm -hmm. there are some things going on in the brain that make that um, the case for a lot of us. And, And certainly as I had conversations in my counseling practice and personal community, um, especially the last two years, I think the pain we've experienced collectively has done a number on our ability to embrace joy wholeheartedly and Mm -hmm. have the courage to celebrate. Yes. I, so much of that resonates with me. So Mm. I really could get off on (laughs) lots and lots of tangents. If you've been around here long, you know, I love earrings especially trendy, affordable earrings. So I am delighted to share Ep & Co. with you. Ep & Co. is a jewelry boutique that seeks to help you complete your look with affordable accessories. Do you prefer a classic earring or a bold one? A minimalist necklace or a modern one? Stacked bracelets or single? You'll find your preferred accessory at epandco.com. That's E-P-P-A-N-C-O.com. Grab a pair of earrings, a necklace, or a bracelet for yourself or to gift to a friend. Use discount code GRACEENOUGH on their website for 15% off your order. And follow along on Instagram at epandco where they drop sneak peeks of their newest products and share behind the scenes of running a small business. Epinco, where Jessica and her team choose joy and wear happy. But I do want to ask, because you mentioned some of the brain research that you have done and just preparation and writing of the book. And so when you think about some of that, what what are some of the reasons that make us so hesitant to celebrate that make some of us completely shy away from it altogether, besides maybe the occasional birthday party and, you know, things that you just attend sure. regularly? That feel obvious to right. celebrate or even obligatory in some right. ways. Absolutely. So I'll talk about the brain as a starting point and then... Uh, there's there's about five reasons that seem to rise to the top in my conversations um, in terms of why we're hesitant to celebrate. But just so we understand what's going on in the brain, um, yeah. we're not fighting on neutral ground here. There's this phenomenon called the hedonic treadmill, which means our brains rapidly adapt to joy. So what's beautiful and exciting and maybe even the gift that we thought would make us want for nothing else quickly fades into the background. It's sort of like when you jump into shockingly cold water and then your body adapts to it and it doesn't Mm -hmm. feel as shocking. That's what our brain does with joy. And then also our brain is stickier with negative and painful input than it Mm -hmm. is with positive and delightful input. Uh, So those moments in your day, maybe it's a hard conversation or maybe it's a disappointing email that you have sitting in your inbox. Those are the things that your brain is going to capture and keep. And sadly, your brain is very efficient 
and does not want to hang on to things that it doesn't think are important. And, yeah. and sadly, a lot of those are the, the everyday joys that we can experience. And we can talk about a practice to counteract that maybe later. Yeah. Um, and then the third thing is just our tendency to tell our joy how it can be improved upon. So, <laughs> so <laughs> it's like, resident- why? <laughs> I know, I know. So you sit down, maybe you've given a presentation at work, for example, or maybe you've given your testimony at church or shared something to a group of people and you sit down and you think that was so fun. I saw, I saw the nods and it felt like what I was saying, like the Holy Spirit was speaking through me and, and it seemed like it was really connecting. And this person said this kind thing afterward. And then you start saying, but who, who wasn't there? Mm-hmm. Or what could I have said that it would have been better if I said this, yep. or I forgot to include that, or this person said it was really good. They didn't say it was great. You know, we start, we start telling it's our so joy. crazy how true this is. I know, I know. And I, I, I really, when I read this in the research, I thought, oh my goodness, how often am I doing this? And so- Yes. So that just shows us we're not, when it comes to joy and celebration, um, our brain in its natural state is, is not usually our help. Um, and there's some practices we can do to rewire our brain, which is the hopeful part. But let me talk a little bit about just some of the main hesitancies that we feel to celebrate. The, the first is, the idea that I shared about a little earlier, that waiting for the other shoe to drop, that celebration always comes with a catch and it's easier just to keep our expectations low um, so that we're not disappointed. Yeah. That actually doesn't work. <laughs> but but um, we, tr- we give it a good we try, try, don't we? <laughs> we sure do. The second reason is that we've approached celebration as more of a reward waiting for us on the other side of the realization of a dream or a goal achieved or some sort of shift in circumstances. And we haven't seen it as a rhythm or a practice that can help us cultivate joy. So a lot of us are just waiting for a reason to celebrate. Um, And maybe we don't think that we're hesitant to celebrate, but we're making it contingent on a certain set of circumstances. Mm -hmm. The problem is that's usually a mirage um, because when we get there, oh no, the criteria has changed. We need this in order to celebrate. Um, And it really narrows our vision of of what celebration is and is super disempowering to think of it that way. Uh, A third reason is, you know, we have pictured celebration as self-aggrandizing and we're Mm -hmm. unsure of how to reconcile the invitation to celebrate with our value of humility. Mm -hmm. Um, What does it look like to do that well? Um, The fourth is, you know, we're all a part of community and not everybody is living the same kind of season at the same time. And often our celebration might bump into somebody else's pain. And so Mm. rather than doing both together, sorrow and celebration together, we just stay quiet about both experiences. Either we don't want to, if we're the one who's in sorrow, we don't want to rain on somebody else's parade. 
And if we're the ones celebrating, we don't want to hurt, further hurt somebody's um, sorrow. And then the fifth is a lot of us have a really good picture of what it looks like to engage with God in our pain. And maybe even some of us like me, uh, cause this is one of my main hangups, um, have experienced God's closeness and the growth and the, um, both spiritually and emotionally that come from those yeah. painful seasons. And I was afraid of losing that. If yeah. I embraced joy in my life, I thought, oh, that intimacy that I have with Christ in the dark what will that look like in the light? And I was sad having grown up in the church my whole life that I didn't have a great picture for what it looked like to engage with God in my joy. Yeah. Um, and so those are the five, and that's not an exhaustive list, but those are the five I hear most often. Right. Well, and that's a perfect lead in to when you do talk about in the book, how the Christians that you stood shoulder to shoulder with that it was very common that you hear, you know, we learn prayer, fasting, mm-hmm. all of these spiritual disciplines, but we don't really learn about celebration. And our family does a Shabbat um, practice oh, on Friday beautiful. nights that kick into Sabbath. And it's great because like, so we didn't know anything about that, but that is a yeah. celebration. We've made it to the end of the week, you know? Yes. And so it's just something simple and special for our family it doesn't that. have to be this elaborate, like, oh, dad won a new job today, so we're going to celebrate. Yes. And so talk about that a little bit. What does God's word say about celebration? Because really, it's all through the Old Testament. He didn't just ask for sacrifices. Yes. Um And I love that you brought up your Shabbat tradition, because when I dove into scripture, Um, and you're right, both the Bible and Jesus's life are bookended by celebration. Um, and the old Testament really beautifully outlines a lot of the feasts and festivals that God's people practiced regularly. And what I noticed about those old Testament feasts and festivals that are described in more detail there, uh, what stood out to me was that they are practiced in rhythm. Mm -hmm. So the Israelites didn't celebrate because they were in the mood to do so, or because they had achieved something fabulous, or because all of their work was done and they had earned the celebration. They celebrated because it was time to do so. Mm -hmm. And anchoring our celebration in that rhythm as a practice, like you and your family every Friday night is a way of making celebration about remembering God, his faithfulness and goodness, and not a reward for our own. And not that, like, I think we should absolutely celebrate that job promotion or that birthday or, you know, the test that you totally nailed or whatever it is. Right, But I think we've limited our celebration to that. And I think it's not only disempowering, but really disconnected. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yes, yeah, scripture, that's one of my favorite things that, that scripture highlights about celebration is it, you know, the food, the, the tradition, the timing of it is all meant to anchor us in remembering who God is and yeah. his faithfulness. Yes. 
It's so true. And it's interesting because, I mean, I think we do that some, you know, somewhat on Sundays, but we still don't really always frame it in that way, right? Like our yes. church tradition, I think probably initially started somewhat in that way, but mm-hmm. we haven't quite framed it um, or, or taught people maybe. This is celebratory. Right. And I think part of that is we tend to emphasize what you shouldn't do on Sabbath. Don't work. <laughs> don't get ahead of your week. You know, don't. <laughs> Instead of thinking, wow, what can we add to that day to yeah. make it really special? Yeah. Um, and again, doesn't need to be a lot of money or take a lot of time. Mm. Uh, we're not talking about a full-blown party every right. week. Although that does sound really fun if you're gifted in that area. But, yeah, but somebody just, else do the planning. <laughs> yes. I would need somebody else in that department. Um, but, you know, just the same meal every week that feels special to your family or a certain question you ask around the dinner table. Because on the, on the far side of these rhythms, once they become habitual, mm-hmm. what this does is then your body, it becomes embodied and you, your body remembers what this means. So it smells the, the meal that you've chosen to prepare every week. And you might open the windows and feel that breeze moving in and out of your kitchen or light a certain candle. And all of a sudden that then cues your body into a place of celebration, your Mm -hmm. mind and heart, because it knows those rhythms and it's following. Have you heard of the Dwell Bible app? It is inspired by the psalmist who encourages us in Psalm 119 to hide God's word in our hearts. And I found one of the best ways to do that is by listening to God's word on the Dwell Bible app. One of the coolest things about Dwell is their new read-along experience. If you've ever seen Apple Music or Amazon Music's lyrics feature, then that's exactly what you can expect from the read-along at Dwell. Big, bold text accompanied with beautiful backgrounds that scrolls as the narrator reads to you. I love Dwell's variety from translation choices to daily Bible reading plans to scripture playlists that speak into your mood or current life situation. My favorite thing about Dwell is being able to search a specific word or topic that I want to dig into and then immediately listening to those scriptures. It's easy to use and enhances my time spent in God's word. Today, we're offering a discount. Go to dwellapp.io slash grace enough to get 10% off a yearly subscription or 30% off Dwell for Life. That's dwellapp.io slash grace enough, or see the link in our show notes. Start committing to scripture for the rest of this year or for life with the Dwell Bible app. When you started coming out of that place of, okay, I want to switch from always feeling like something is going to happen if I celebrate. Mm -hmm. into some more rhythms. What are some things that you started doing, some of those practical things that you started doing to um, introduce celebration as a rhythm? Yes. So there's many of them in the last third of my book. Um, I continue in 
biblical story and personal story. Um, but that last third, if you want to dive deeper, has so many great practices, but I'll share a couple of my favorites with you. Um, the first and a really great place to start, uh, especially in light of what I shared earlier in the conversation about the brain, is the practice of savoring. So savoring celebrates the ordinary. So all those beautiful moments that your brain seems to think are not important, um, this is a way of, of capturing and carrying those beautiful things forward. And the way that you do it is you just either take the present moment, if you're able to, to catch yourself in that delight in the moment, or take a snapshot from your day as you reflect on your day. And can I just encourage you here, it doesn't need to be a perfect day or even a perfect moment. Oh. I was talking with a friend um, who has four teenagers. And so the six of them, her and her husband and her four kids, sitting down to dinner together is such a rare thing because of after school activities. Mm -hmm. And it happened the other night. And I'm sure there were squabbles at that dinner table, <laughs> or I'm sure there were complaints about the food or whatever. But just the fact that they were together around the same table was enough of a snapshot for my friend to mm -hmm. savor. So don't wait for everything to be perfect to, to take a snapshot. And then you just, once you have your moment, you just ask your five traditional senses what they're going to remember about that moment. Mm -hmm. So what are you seeing? What are you smelling? What are you hearing? What are you tasting? And what do you feel? And that will put it in a place in your brain that celebrates it and savors it and can carry it forward. Mm, I love it. And then the second that I want to talk about is Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. um, and the practice of Thanksgiving has been so, so valuable to oh, me, me in my too. role. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, I mean, it changed my life. Like seriously. Yes. When I was going through depression. I mean, yes. it changed my life. And my husband was like, I need you to tell me five things you are thankful for right mm -hmm. now because you are on a, like, and then I just started writing them down. And no, yeah, so you yes. go ahead, but it really is transformative. It is. And, you know, I think we, we talk so often about gratitude and gratitude, you know, we can't walk into a boutique, it seems, without seeing a gratitude journal or jar. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Um, because there is so much value in noting and naming mm -hmm. what we're grateful for. And the research says it does increase our joy. Mm -hmm. You know, when we note it, we're changing our perspective because all of a sudden we're scanning our days for the good. Yeah. Um, and then naming it helps put structure around it. Like even your husband asking you that question, mm -hmm you know, forces you to put language to those things instead of just, oh, that was nice. <laughs> you know? yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but what we don't often talk about is that Thanksgiving actually expressing the gratitude that we feel doubles the joy mm. that we glean from gratitude. Wow. So when I'm able to tell someone in my life, this is the difference you make by being in my life. And here are the ways I've grown and been encouraged because of your presence in my life. And I love A, B, and C about you. Mm -hmm. 
And thank you so much for your friendship. Mm-hmm. When we're actually able to express it versus simply feel, I, I would have felt joy had I reflected on my friend and felt grateful for her. But when I actually get to express that gratitude to her through Thanksgiving, this is the avenue we've been given to celebrate the gift with the giver. Yeah. Um, so even in my prayer life, you know, I talked earlier about how I didn't really know what it felt, what it was like to interact with God in my joy. Mm. Thanksgiving is our way of celebrating the gift with the giver. And it's such a gift too. And I know people who are listening have heard me say things like this, but we at times, whether it, it may be on a Shabbat or it may be just somebody's birthday or something like that, but around the table, you know, turn to your left and tell the person beside you something you love about them. Yes. And that can feel so uncomfortable at first yes. because I remember when my mother-in-law first started having us do, like for a while, when it was like my sister-in-law's birthday, she'd say, okay, we're all going to say something about Michelle that we love. Mm. And that can feel real uncomfortable, but it is such a gift. And you're, I love that you said it's, you know, the gift is for you for the gift. It goes back and forth, right? Mm -hmm. Both people are just so like, oh, wow. I mean, I feel so much more joy just from having received that. Yes. Um, So families start doing that with your kids. It's a really good practice, especially for those little squabbling siblings. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know my, my younger two, I'm always like, you all need to say something nice about each other. No one's allowed to leave until you say something nice to each other. So anyways, you do talk a lot about though, how celebration and escapism obviously are not the same thing. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit. And the reason I, I talk about that in my book is I think celebration has been misbranded as sort of blowing off steam or somehow something that takes us away from Christ instead mm-hmm. of uh, a practice or an avenue of engaging with God. Mm-hmm. And so celebration at its best, like we talked about, is a, a rhythm of engaging Mm-hmm. with God. It it's it helps us lean in and stay connected to our senses, to our relationship with God and to our relationship with other people. Mm. It's it's a intentional action whereas escapism is a reaction. If you are wanting to numb out or just check out mentally, mm-hmm. uh that is a clue to you that you are feeling something either about your identity or sense of safety, that you're feeling pain because we don't do those things in a, in a vacuum. Um, yeah. And so escapism, it would be a way of pressing actually pause on our processing and our healing. And of course it doesn't do anything to move us or connect us in a healing way, it just hits the pause button and we wake up right where we started. Mm -hmm. And so one is a, is a reaction to pain. And the other one is an action that leads us toward truth. Do you think that part of that is because so much of our culture is like, oh, celebration is party related? Yeah, I do. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I was just curious. Yes. I think we have really narrowed our celebration to 
a, a party or something that's selfish even <laughs> or self-aggrandizing. So I just need to do this, you know, wild and crazy thing for me or um, have this boisterous celebration for me and check out a life. And um, I think it is neither selfish nor uh, escapism. Yeah. I love that because I do think if we could begin to just apply the appropriate definition to the way God sees celebration, we would start seeing smaller, more intimate things as celebratory that it doesn't always have to be this big, elaborate event to be a celebration. Yes, exactly. So tell me this, in your practice of celebration, uh, what did you discover about the character of God? Mm. One of my clients described describes this picture. It's like a pencil drawing, I think, in her dad's office. of uh, It's a pencil drawing of Jesus. And he's laughing. Uh, she calls it the laughing Jesus. I love it. And she and I talk about that quite a bit because it runs counter to a lot of the images that we receive about who God is. And so, yes, I knew a God who was at the center with me of my pain and so present in that place. And his breath was close on my face in that heartache. Um, and, and I was so aware of his, the comforting elements of his character, but I also know him to be the center of my celebration Mm -hmm. that, that he loves our joy because he is joy. Mm. He wants to draw us more into what that means. Um, and what I mean by that is a lot of the disappointment I've realized that I've experienced in my life. Of course, I naturally feel disappointed with a no or a loss or, um, you know, the things that are naturally disappointing, but I think I've been more disappointed or devastated because I've expected more joy from a gift than it was meant to give. Oh yes. And so we should absolutely delight in the gifts that God gives us in our lives. But Christ warns us, just make sure they're not standing awkwardly in the wrong position because what sits at the center of our affection will determine the satiation of our joy. And so if Christ is not at the center of our celebration, the satiation of our joy will run out. Uh, It will wane over time. One of the people who really taught me how to celebrate, uh, his name was Brewster McLeod, and he was a youth pastor for years. That's not when Mm. I got to know him, but he stepped aside from being a youth pastor into doing special needs ministry. And, um, he was one of the first people like in the U.S. to really get a ministry like this going years and years cool. ago. It really was cool. But he had these little cards and it was a picture of Jesus, but he had a party hat on. And some people had such a problem with that because they were like, I mean, it's heresy. And <laughs> this, the special needs adults and the people serving in that capacity loved that because that yes. was what his point was. Yes. His point all along was that... Jesus is not just the suffering savior. There's more complexity to him. While that's Mm -hmm. enough, there is more to him than that. And we need to know both. So beautiful. Yes. And I I even hear that in language a lot, right? So Jesus came to suffer for our sins. Well, no, he was willing to suffer for Mm. our sins and meet us in that place of heartache. 
um, and brokenness so that he Mm. could celebrate with us as his children being united with him once and for all. Mm. So it was not the end in and of itself, but a means to an end. And the end looks like celebration. Revelation Mm -hmm. is clear about that, as unclear as our pain can be right now. And as many answers as we're walking around without, we, we do have that clear answer that, that what is dark today will not be dark forever. Mm. Nicole, as we begin to close out here, I know, um, that this book is a labor of love. And so for someone who is just really in that place of like, this is resonating with me, like I want to learn how to embrace the celebration. Uh, what are you hoping that this book really speaks into them? So many things. <laughs> um, I, I think, you know, well, one thing that I just want to press into the palms of the listener, if this is feeling like, yes, I so want to find the courage to celebrate, but my pain is feels like it's holding me back and Mm. it's really hard to find the courage to celebrate. I think about Elizabeth and Zechariah, and I talk about this in the book because they both walked through a season of heartache with their own infertility journey. And there was all this social stigma that went along with that. And they're in their old age and they walk faithfully with the Lord, both of them, Mm -hmm. um, and receive the same news from the angel of the Lord that says, you are going to have a child. And of Mm -hmm. course we know that child ended up being John the Baptist and Elizabeth just receives that news so readily, even after so much pain, she is my my hero, my example, um, when I'm trying to cultivate an expectant heart, she just mm. really trusts the Lord's gift, even in the the wake and in the midst of her pain. Mm. And we see that Zechariah is unable to do that. And of course he is silenced for a time. He wants the proof before he's willing to trust the promise because he's so He's trusted God as his comforter, but he's, he's never known him as his celebrator Mm -hmm. and that's harder to trust. But this is what I love. Zechariah still gets to father John the Baptist. He still gets the gift. And, and people have asked me, do you think I need to demonstrate a certain uh, level of hope or an expectant heart before God is willing to intervene Mm. in my circumstances and I can celebrate and I just want to press into your palms God's faithfulness is not dependent on your faith. His goodness is not a function of your goodness. There is just simply so much joy available to us when we can take God at his word. Mm-hmm. As, as Elizabeth said, you know, blessed is, is she who has trusted what God has spoken to her, who has believed what God has said to her. And so that that's the direction I would encourage us all to move in, but know that I don't look like that on, on more days than not. I'll just <laughs> confess that on your podcast. Yeah, um, me neither. <laughs> yeah. I take my, you know, my title for the book is what if it's wonderful and, and people have really loved that title. And, and I am quick to say, but I take my own title to the face mm. all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is not my natural set point. Yeah. Uh, but it, it is something that has made, that has moved me along in my story and in my growth. 
and is making all the difference for me. Hmm. Thank you so much for sharing this with us. I appreciate you. So what are your takeaways from my conversation with Nicole? Hop over to Instagram and send them to me at Podcast underscore Amber. And while you're there, share the episode to your stories or direct message it to a friend. You can also send me a message and share it on Facebook. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time. This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.